Welcome to Unbooking the Territories. We continue our journey through the highest and lowest TV rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars for each creative period. This week sees Ed Ferrara, Terry Taylor and John Laurinaitis' lowest rated episode. I'll handle this treasure map. It's in two pieces. Oh, wow. It's actually from the WWE Board of Directors. Must be some pretty big business. Dear Mr. Laurinaitis, wow, that is your real name. How about it? And here's Terry Taylor representing World Championship Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, I stand before you as a proud member of the WCW Executive Board. And we have the following announcement. The Red Rooster is going crazy. He's so excited. I stand before you as a man. I stand before you as a real man. He was bathed in barbecue sauce last Sunday night. Oklahoma, you know when you wear that hat, you're nothing but big hat and no cattle. I have two words, people power. So how are you this week, Dan? Not too bad, all things considered, as, as we were saying just before. I had a little migraine this afternoon, but it was only a small one. So a, uh, an hour's kip and a healthy portion of steak and chips and a couple of swigs of beer and I'm ready to rock and roll. It's a bit weird, though, this week, because this is the first time we're, we're flying just the two of us for a while. I was going to say flying solo, but that doesn't quite work. Well, we are, yeah, and especially after uh, all those controversial opinions we had on last week's uh, episode that we reviewed. <laughs> it's almost like we've scared people away, but we haven't. It's just because uh, I did pre-warn him that I was going to give him some shit. Nash, you fucking let down. We were supposed to have Wing Commander Nash on, but alas, real life gets in the way. The life of a pilot. He's off. Uh, he's off flying high in the sky somewhere, and uh, and definitely not caught up looking for petrol. Poor bastard. I would have said he's out on manoeuvres, and I like how, how you know all about the controversy last week due to um, a, an error in uh, spreadsheetery. We're uh, recording two episodes out of sync, so we're recording this one before the episode that's going to you'll have heard last week. So I, I go really well. I in no way forgot that at all. Definitely <laughs> not. Definitely not. That was purely intentional. No selling, honest. Yeah. We only just realised these episodes didn't go head-to-head. This episode of Nitro was on the Tuesday, obviously the Raw was on the Monday, so technically the spread the spreadsheet goes Nitro, Raw, because it's in alphabetical order, so yeah, we got that in trouble. I, per- personally, I blame the spreadsheet. Yeah, uh, whatever fool made it, yeah. <laughs> so, well, from all this confusion, it sounds like people have been drinking, so uh, what are you on, Dan? Yeah, I'm obviously drinking. Uh, I'm on. I've got a new one from Brew York. I've raided Trembling Madness again. Didn't have time to go to Hopper Clock today, unfortunately. Uh, but I've got an American pale ale called It's This Way, Tony. Five point two percent. It's rather nice. It's again, you know, Brew York just don't really make bad beer. So that'll do for me. Then next up, I've got a red IPA, which is called Red Danson, which I'm assuming is a Ted Danson thing. Seven point two percent. So we'll see how that goes. And then I've got Northern Monk OFS 050, which is a lingonberry and raspberry sour at 4.5%. So we'll see how those go, providing it doesn't mess my brain up anymore. And then I've got a couple of stouts I might delve into later. I'm not a massive lingonberry fan, so I'd have probably avoided that one, to be fair. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, but you know what I'm like with these old flax star beers. I've, I've got to try every one, even if I know I probably won't like it. Yeah, it's just there for the on tap, but yeah, it's uh, 
Got to drink them all. You've got me well. It's just like just as the same Pokemon, you've got to drink them all. So my first one is actually from Trembling Madness. It's a chocolate beer ale from Kyushu Brewery. One that I actually got uh, when we were in Trembling Madness together, but it's been in the back of the uh, cupboard for a while. It's um, an ale brewed with uh, cacao, berry and cherry, and that's uh, 6%. That's um, how long Rob's stock rotation takes, folks. <laughs> well, I, t- I, tell you, I tell you what, it's lucky that the other day, I sort of because what happens is I buy a new beer and then I drink the new beer. And the old beers sort of, you know, to the back. And I've got one here that goes off October 2021 in my hand, but I'm going to have next. So just caught that one. And I believe this one is from um, Salt Air Wines from memory. It's a verdant IPA. It's uh, described as an extraordinary IPA, which sounds a little bit like Mike Sanders being uh, better than average. And that's 5.5%. And uh, that's from. The same brewery that does the Deval. Oh, yeah. And then I think this is another one that's uh, literally about to go off. This goes off December 21. So, again, just lucky I've caught this one. I think this one was a Beer 52 special. It's a free assembly, dry hopped uh, wheat beer. I think I remember that one. Yeah, it's got like parrots and stuff and a hippo on the. Uh, I, have, I have had that one. Yeah. Yeah. I drink that one next to get it out of the way. Yeah. So just as lucky I've been going through and uh, picking other ones with old dates on. Yeah. Well, oh, I, I can't remember if I've mentioned it on here before, but we now have a pub at the bottom of my garden, uh, the Griffin, and uh, been keeping that stocked, uh, including stouts for my old man. And I've managed to convert him to uh, a Thornbridge chocolate stout that you can get in, uh, sorry, chocolate porter that you can get in Morrison's uh, for, for £6. And uh, he, I forgot to tell him, and he only found out today that they're 6.8%, and he wondered why he felt more pissed than usual after uh, after about three bottles of it. So that was amusing. Excellent. Just in real time, the episode that's coming out on Monday, so it'll be a month ago if you go back in the archives, but uh, a few days from now for Dan, is the one where your dad does the running. Brilliant. Love it. So, so sorry, I should, I should have said star of the show, my dad. Exactly. <laughs> Fr- friend of the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was the star that night. <laughs> so as I've got some really old beer, it's absolutely fine to go back to an old gimmick so the listeners can sit back and relax and be the virtual Carmella and we'll be the virtual Reginald and recommend a drink that they should uh, have while they're watching this episode of uh, Monday Nitro. So what do you recommend, Dan? I recommend more sommeliers in wrestling. That's what I recommend. We need to keep this going somehow. But I would recommend a beer that I only had very recently and it's uh, honeycomb chocolate stout by vocation, seven percent. I gave it four point two five on untapped. It does exactly what it says on the tin. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's honeycomb. It's chocolate. It's got a decent amount of booze, and it's bloody delicious. What about you? I don't think I've ever had a bad vocation beer. No, they're a really good brewery. So the beer that I would recommend, I have gone with Christmas Kitty, which is a 5.5% porter from Brass Castle Brewery. It's one that I gave 3.75 to an untapped. And you gave four, and Beth also gave four out of five to. Christmas Kitty has a special place in my heart because uh, I work with the head brewer's fiancé. And a couple of Christmases ago, she brought in a fresh fresh canned like a pint and a half or two pint can of Christmas Kitty that had to be drunk within 24 hours of uh, of it being canned. And it was one of the nicest things I've ever drank. 
looking back. And I think my rating reflected that. Well, that bodes well because a lot of these beers have to be drunk within 24 hours or they'll go off. A bit different there. It was because, you know, otherwise it'd spoil, not because it's been left at the back of a cupboard peaking lonely. I was like, when will he drink me? <laughs> but the reason I've gone for Christmas, Kitty, is that Santa was on this show. He was. He was. You could see him just, he was very, he was very unsubtly sneaking down the stairs at one point. And then we catch him again later in the show. So now it's time for Beth's Beer of the Week. And Beth's Beer of the Week is Choco Clock by Stuart Bruin. So Beth's Beer of the Week there was Choco Clock, which is a 4.5% stout from Stuart Brewing. It's uh, one that Beth gave two out of five to an untapped. Although, while she was drinking it, she said, and I quote, I really like this. Uh, Does Beth know how untapped works? Lord only knows. I actually questioned it when uh, uh, I went on later and saw that she'd given it a two, two out of five. I was like, "You said you liked that." Oh, I did. I did. It's like, All right. I gave it four, two, Well, I gave it four point two five. Um, I was uh, good because we got a thing through the post. You know, all the offers on that little sort of thing, and it said it was little beer festival. Mm-hmm. So I thought, right, I'll an excuse. So I nipped into little. They'd sent it out a month in advance, so obviously um, it wasn't the beer festival. But they did have some of the Stuart Brewing beers that we haven't had before, so we got a few of them in. But, yeah, little getting me too excited. I might just go and sit outside and wait till it's the beer festival. Oh, you just didn't check the date? I didn't. I didn't think they'd send it that far in advance. Rob, it's the little beer festival. You know how many people clamber for it? I know. So... Obviously, um, in terms of the heads of creative, we've seen a lot of Terry Taylor and Ed Ferrara in these previous episodes, but this is the first time that John Laronitis is stepping up to sort of a head of or joint head of role. Um, But before he does that, it's time for Brad Siegel to log into LinkedIn and look at the qualities that might have put him in that decision to put him in that role. It's been a while since we've done this. Well, this is the beauty of getting new people, isn't it? I wonder what on earth we said last week when, um, which we haven't recorded yet, but we will do when uh, Vince had to log into uh, LinkedIn and look at the qualities that Stephanie might have to give her the uh, role of head of creative. <laughs> Just to clarify, I meant it's been a while since we've done this for Nitro. I actually did look on John Lytis's genuine LinkedIn profile, and it literally just has that he went to Minnesota State University. And that he's worked for WWE for 20 years, and that's the only two items that he's got in there. No mention of his wrestling career or anything else, or that if he even graduated university or... He did graduate university. Um, I can't find out what he got his degree in, and I can't find any record of doing sports at university. He, he is the brother of Road Warrior Animal, who was Joe Laurinaitis, and the Terminator, who's Marcus Laurinaitis. So he'd sort of grown up with uh, certainly brothers that were uh, into wrestling. I don't know if he ever wrestled sort of at university, and I'm sure Jim Ross would have made us aware if he had done. (laughs) Yeah, not half. If he'd wrestled or played football, or if he'd even just happened to wander into a stadium once or twice in his life. Yeah, if if he was even a fan, Jim Ross would have let us know. So, John Laurinaitis starts wrestling in 1986 in Florida Championship Wrestling, and he's tagging with his brother Marcus, the Terminator. Uh, he then goes on to Jim Croppick's promotion, and he's tagging with Shane Douglas in the Dynamic Dudes. Mm, what a great name. Well, to be fair, in the 80s, it was a great name. Uh, but it just, anything now with a, with a 
were doing it just I get, I get two dudes with attitude flashback yeah well it feels very much like that south Park regional wrestling thing isn't it so yes <laughs> dynamic dudes had skateboards so uh, you know 30 years before darby allen made it cool <laughs> john laurie paving the way for darby allen <laughs> we've spoken about how finn balor's basically just a kiss demon rip off yeah, I know I was being serious. I just never realised it before. That's what the laugh was for. It's so obvious it's just there in front of you. It in is. fact, actually, you could go a step further. John Laurinaitis laid the way for, uh, paved the way for Mark Andrews in TNA, who paved the way for Darby Allen in AEW. He did. I still can't believe Mark Andrews won uh, TNA boot camp season two. Yeah. I mean, he's solid enough in ringies, Mark Andrews, but I've never once given a shit about the lad. No. No, it should have been grey, though, but never mind. Anyway, John Lanatis then moves to All Japan um, Pro Wrestling. He becomes a four-time World Tag Team Champion. He has two five-star matches and wins the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Match of the Year. That is an incredible achievement if you set any star by the opinion of Shagger Dave. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know. We, we know that there's one stooge in Terry Taylor on this writing committee, and we know that someone else has uh, received high accolades from Meltzer, so... Oh, please, Daddy, please, Big Daddy Meltz, please praise me again. Mm-hmm. I'll give you all the information you want. Fucking so, stooges. <laughs> oh, also, so, I forgot, forgot to say, sorry, uh, fuck Terry Taylor. Indeed, fuck Terry Taylor. And, and fuck Guildford football, as that sign said. <laughs> <laughs> so John Laurinaitis goes on to work as a road agent in All Japan Pro Wrestling and uh, as we've previously covered on these episodes uh, that episode that Banks, Taylor and Ferrara wrote uh, John Laurinaitis is brought in at that point to start working on finishes for matches in WCW so he's already agent in matches up to this point yeah, he's um, also the, the work in, in Japan, both in-ring and backstage, kind of sets him apart as well in terms of the people we've covered. We've we've never really seen anybody who's had that sort of agent experience over there. And I don't think many people who've, who've wrestled over there for any length of time, certainly not to the that off the top of my head to the accolades that, uh, that Lauren Knight has got. No, certainly not to that level. I guess to a certain extent, if we'd have gone further back with some of these and... You know, we'd have been looking at maybe when, like, you know, Dusty Rhodes and Terry Funk were sort of high up in the booking committee. Um, yeah. You know, they would have had those kind of accolades. But, uh, and Ric Flair as well. You know, I mean, he's been in, like, the G1, all that sort of stuff. But certainly not in the recent heads of creative that we've seen. No, so it's just, but it's it's another one of those things. It's a different perspective. It's different experiences. And who knows, maybe it works. Yeah. Obviously, this isn't going to come to pass, but had Eric Bischoff and the Fugent Media deal gone through, Bischoff was looking at having Laurinaitis as his um, head of creative. Oh, really, when he was looking to buy it out? Yeah, apparently they were in very close touch about, you know, sort of starting to think about ideas, maybe not nothing concrete, but, you know, sort of not not putting anything major in place that would, would block things that they might want to do in the future. Um, a kind of... A kind of um... We can see where this is probably going if slash when this goes under. And I step in, do you want to do X? And just, they'd call it a contingency plan, but, but you could, they could see the ship was sinking. Yeah, exactly. For this creative period, they're in charge for 23 episodes 
and it has an average of 2.29 and that compares to the previous period when Russo was in charge with an average of 2.81 and compares to the very final episode of Nitro when WWF's writing team were in the house uh, writing the episode which got a rating of three although given that was kind of a, a special event with the final cast maybe not fair to compare that one off as we say this is the lowest rated episode it was broadcast on tuesday the 12th of december 2000 it had a rating of 1.7 and is the lowest ever rated episode of monday nitro although this is a tuesday <laughs> <laughs> and, to, and to an extent, you can maybe attribute some of the low rating to that. You know, maybe a smidgen because it's move night, so you don't know what people are up to, yada, yada. But yeah, there's always got to be the lowest point. And this is it, the lowest rated Nitro and the lowest rated point of the war. Yeah. And still more than Raw gets, I believe, currently. Well, a lot more because this was percent of the audience. So, of course it was, yeah, percent of the audience, not mil, not uh, mil, not million, yeah. So I'd, I'd hazard a guess to say that it's actually more than, but yeah, it'd be more than AEW, would be probably be more than SmackDown. Yeah, yeah, so SmackDown's getting about 2.2 million. Uh, this is probably, um, I, I don't know, close on 3 million. Yeah. We're probably watching at this time. Which is just mad when you put it into perspective like that. Yeah, and never went sort of out of the top five. Yeah, in the demo on the cable rated shows. The highest rated episode is on the 15th of January 2000, and that gets a rating of 2.65. It's back to about what you expect from the era, give or take. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with the with the average being that 2.29. The other thing to think about, though, in between these two episodes, because obviously we've got like the middle of December, middle of January, over mm. the Christmas and New Year period, they did two clip shows. Yeah. And the Christmas Day show that Nitro does goes head-to-head with the Raw. That's Stephanie McMahon's lowest-rated episode, but it pretty much, I think it gets a rating of 2.25 for the Nitro, so it's... You know, it's Raw's lowest rating, but literally for Nitro, it's just a Monday. Yeah. Not like we've seen previously with the clip show, which got a 1.8, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I say seen previously, we've not actually covered it. I think we were saving that for a bonus episode. <laughs> well, there's so many clip shows when you go and look back, it just wasn't a one-off. So this episode was actually filmed on the Monday, so it wasn't live. The reason it's not on the Monday is that TNN have made a far TV movie of David Copperfield, which they're going to show. Great. Now, I do believe that uh, in 99, the BBC had made a television series of David Copperfield, which came out to much critical acclaim. So TNT decided rather than buying in that, they'd make their own version, which, which didn't come out to critical acclaim. <laughs> Although there is a there is a wrestling link. So even though it's a Monday and it's not Nitro, there's a wrestling link because Sally Field was in this episode, uh, this the David Copperfield film. And she in the 1960s had been in a TV series called The Flying Nun. And you might remember that the headbangers in 1996 were working as the Flying Nuns. Dear me, you worked hard for that and I respect the work. I didn't actually work hard because I just looked up the cast, saw Sally Field and went, headbangers. Fuck me. That, that's really how your brain's wired now. It is. It is. 
I couldn't tell you what else Sally Field has done. <laughs> just no flying none. Oh, wasn't Sally Field... Didn't she play Forrest Gump's mum? She did, yes. Good, I was just getting my phone out to look it up because I couldn't remember, but uh, that's... Yeah, that yeah. sounds right to me. <laughs> We're not going to bother fact-checking it, just, yeah. It'd be right. No, look, and if anyone finds out that Sally Field didn't play Forrest Gump's mum, all I can say is it's the Mandela effect. Blame CERN. Yes. Okay. So this episode of Nitro came from the Boys City, Louisiana, Century Tell Arena. Again, it's the dark age of wrestling in 2000. There's no record of how many people were at this show. But uh, in terms of other shows that have been there, the only sort of pay-per-view event was UFC 37 that was in this building, which had a, an attendance of 7,200. And the largest recorded wrestling crowd for this event is a WWF house show in uh, 2016 with 3,500. That's not great for a house show. but Or is it? I don't know, to be fair. Cause no, the house shows are the ones without TV, so you often yeah. do. I mean, in this country, you get pretty decent house show rate attendances, but in America, you know, they can be pretty low. Yeah, we're a deprived market, though, aren't we, as far as WWE goes? But that, that hazard a guess and say there was probably it'd be close to seven thousand than uh, than the three and a half, and I was pleasantly surprised by the uh, by the size of the crowd. They either crowd they either packed a fair few in, or they did a good. They actually for once did a good job of keeping them all on one side of the arena. Well, there was actually a point when the camera went to the other side, and it did look quite full. I think though, other shows that we've viewed recently have been like famous arenas that have had multiple pay-per-views at, if not dozens of pay-per-views sort of thing. You know, this arena has very little wrestling or, or sort of prominent wrestling experience. So maybe that's a deprived market as well. Yeah, it could be. Could be because it, it? you said it was uh, Shreveport. Well, they said it was Shreveport on the thing, but it was uh, Boys of City, so... I don't know. I'm I'm sure that on South Park Regional Wrestling, they were going to have Lethal Leap Year from Shreveport <laughs> with, a, with, a, with free parking and a free pancake breakfast. I'd turn up just for the free parking and the free pancake breakfast, and I get yeah, to see some wrestling. Get me in. Yeah. But so it looks a good crowd, and they were they, they definitely knew who they liked. <laughs> Let's put it yes. that way. Yeah, bless them. So now it's time to go through our top five, and um, whether that be good, bad, or just talking points, we'll debate it and come out with a collective top five together. So what's your first one, Dan? No, do you know what, mate? As it's just the two of us today, I'm going to let you go first. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> mm, decisions, decisions. I'm not, I'm not used to this. Um, <laughs> not with a bit of time to compose myself. You know what? I'm going to throw out a really weird one just because it's where I've opened my notes. But it is something that harks back to the 14th of February 2000 when Kevin Sullivan, Terry Taylor and Ed Ferraro were in charge of booking. So Ooh. we've got a 10-month-long ten, ten story arc on this one. And you may remember on that episode of Nitro, Big Vito and Johnny the Bull at the start of the show wanted to go home and relax. And Disco said, you can't go home, there's a big party going on. And they took a sidestep. And there was a wedding going on. And it was Big, Big Vito's sister Marie's wedding. And yeah. that is the only time that she'd appeared on Monday Nitro. Until the week before this show, when she appeared to like, aid Reno in a match. And then we get this uh, segment here where Reno's walking backstage. 
He's got Marie um, following him, shouting, don't go crazy. Uh, Chronic come out of the dressing room and he starts attacking them, but obviously there's two of them, so they overpower him. And Vito runs in and for, for the save. And uh, Brian Clark's saying, what the hell's going on? Because Reno's a member of the Natural Braun Thrillers and, you know, supposedly they're in, in bed with Chronic. But, uh, you know, there's, there's clearly an issue here. And Vito's saying, you don't mess with us, uh, we'll see you at Starcade. And then Vito reveals that he is Reno's brother and Marie <laughs> is Reno's sister. So even though Reno wasn't at the wedding, this convoluted storyline where no one knew the family and everyone was ad-libbing, they have brought back 10 months later. And you know, because two of these people booked that shit, you know they've been sat on this all this time, waiting for this to come out. Oh, my God. And... Damn, See, I, did, this... I didn't take I didn't take that literally. When he said we're brothers, we're family, I I just took it in a like a you know we're tag partners, we're mates, we're you know we're family sort of way. Well, I would have done Dan, but for the fact it's the same actress that's playing Marie. I didn't fucking know. That. I didn't even know who it was. I didn't pay that much attention to to it. To I, went, I went back and checked, and I was like, why have they brought this back? I mean, this was a one and done storyline ten months ago, and they brought it back for no apparent reason. And Rena, who to this point has made no reference to being Vito's brother, is now canon Vito's brother. I, oh, God, what? <laughs> right, you can't drop this on me when I've had a migraine, man. <laughs> I mean, the, the wedding segment was bad enough, and I, and I urge people to go back into the archives to listen to the 14th of February 2000 episode that we did um, with Sarah uh, and just listen to the explanation of uh, the uh, Pison's wedding. But uh, the fact that they picked it up again here 10 months later just blew my mind. And if I'd have noticed it, it'd have blown my mind as well. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe they've resurrected that shit. Because that was that was one that you did a deep dive on, and it like just to an impressive degree, poking holes in the continuity and all the rest of it. But it was of such little consequence. Me and Sarah were just like, eh. yeah, <laughs> couldn't I mean, give a shit. We just disregarded it. It is clearly a storyline that Ed Ferrara and Terry, Terry Taylor are deeply invested in. <laughs> yeah, they're the only two. Yeah. Jesus Christ, do you know what? I'm I'm so tempted just to give this a spot because you actually noticed it. Look, oh, man. Do you know what? Just by virtue, just by virtue of that, yeah, let, let's go with it because that is just fucking ridiculous. And I can't tell if it's good or bad. It might be both. You know, as the kids say these days, it's long-term storytelling. But no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It was a one and done angle, and they've, they've dropped it in, and nobody's noticed for twenty one years. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, like, uh, it's like I was listening to um, uh, the SJP wrestling podcast recently. Shout out to Sai, and he was talking to Tanner about Money in the Bank twenty eleven. You know the the Punk John Cena match, that whole famous thing. And it just made me absolutely howl when Cy, you know, obviously it's one of his favourite things to watch. He loves watching various elements of the show. And he's only just realised that it's uh, the Titantron's a giant briefcase. Oh, God. <laughs> with a handle, and it's just like, but, pick it, but it just reminded me, you know, picking up on something like that so many years later is exactly, it's kind of what you've done here. 
Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Do you know what? You can have it. Yeah. That's that's impressive that you'd even think of it. What's your first one, Dan? Do you know what? Let's start out on a positive for mine. I want to go for Sarge versus Goldberg. So this throughout the start of this episode, you have Sarge turn up, who is the head trainer of the power plant. He comes in, he's pissed off. He's looking for Mike Sanders, who's the uh, the commissioner at this point. And he, do, he does the ultimate babyface thing of roughing up Disco. Uh, so that's fun. Roughs up Disco Inferno, looking for, um, for Sanders. Can I just mention something? How the fuck did Disco not know about Vito and Reno being related? Because he was the only person who knew who was related to each other at that wedding. The, that particular apple must have fallen off the family tree. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, <laughs> you just reminded me. You just reminded me of that continuity error. <laughs> just that one. Yeah, well. So anyway, back to Sarge. He storms into uh, Sanders' office, demanding a match with Lex Luger for what he did to him on on Nitro. Sanders is saying, "Oh, you know, they've got rules and procedures around here. Don't storm into my office." And says, "You can't have Lex tonight. The show's packed." He says, "But it'll give him Lex off thunder. Sarge just needs to do something for him." And they're just, you know, Sarge sort of comes to terms with that says, yeah, all right. Later on, Sarge comes to the ring and uh, he stood there waiting for, his op- waiting for his opponent. And then you see Goldberg, uh, go- cuts to Goldberg's dressing room. But what we'd seen before was two of the natural-born thrillers, I can't remember who it was, could have been Jim Draken O'Hare, taking the monitor out of Goldberg's dressing room. And we sort of didn't know why, but it's so that Goldberg can't see what's going on in the ring. So he doesn't know that he's going to go wrestle Sarge. All he knows is he's got a match. But it doesn't matter because he's Goldberg. And he'll just smash anybody up. And you get this really great moment where the commentary do a, an excellent job of hyping this up. Saying Goldberg doesn't know he's facing. doesn't know he's facing you know, the leader of the power plant, his mentor. And, and they really hammer it home. But they don't over-egg the pudding. And Goldberg you know, comes up the ramp he can't see for the pyro. Then he can't see for the smoke and he goes through his hole, you know, throwing his uppercuts and his kicks and he just stops dead and actually looks reticent to get in the ring. Which commentary call it right, so we've never seen it before from Goldberg. Goldberg's never taken a, he's never stopped, he's never taken a backward step, he's always been straight ahead, do the job in. Yeah. You get Sergeant Goldberg face to face, or as face to face as they can be with the height difference. And they do, they do a really good job of getting the just the faces in the frame, but getting the sound perfect so you can actually hear what they're saying to each other. The Sarge is saying, we've got to do this. Goldberg's refusing. Sarge is saying, why are you refusing? Goldberg has a job to do, but Sarge isn't included in it. And then Sarge is getting in his face. What have I always told you? What have I always told you? Goldberg says, it's not happening. They have this whole back and forth. And Sarge starts saying, what, we've got to do this. What did I always teach you? Did I give anyone any slack? Then you get Luger coming out, and he actually cuts one of the one of his better promos. I thought, saying, you know, it's oh, it's tough being a big star in WCW, isn't it? Tough carrying WCW on those big broad shoulders, and he drops the bombshell that if Goldberg doesn't do the match and the bell's already rung, Sarge doesn't get Luger on Thunder, and Goldberg has to retire. I believe that was a stipulation. I might have got that wrong. Yeah, so I think it was Vince Russo's very last Nitro that he's on, and this is when. He's concussed to hell and he's in a portmobile. I think 
<laughs> I think it has to be seen to be believed. Although, to be honest, I don't think he probably wrote that one given his um, condition at the time. But uh, he actually says to Goldberg at that time that, you know, you went on this brilliant streak. Well, you're going to have to go on a brilliant streak again because the next time you lose, you'll be fired. Right, OK. So, yeah, there you go. Goldberg's still refusing and Sarge is firing up. He, I have not seen Sarge that hot since he was yelling at Louis Theroux in that documentary we watched at yours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely beasting him. Goldberg goes to leave and Sarge jumps him. Just starts laying in forearms and just keeps beating the piss out of him and you know telling him to fight back. He gets Goldberg down to a knee. Goldberg keeps still refusing to fight back. Sarge just keeps twatting him and yelling at him. And then eventually Goldberg snaps, he reverses the whip, hits the spear, but he won't hit the jackhammer. Tries to walk away. Then Sarge actually grabs him by the leg to stop him walking away, which just pisses Goldberg off. So he picks him up, jackhammer, one, two, three, and Goldberg looks just annoyed and upset, which again, you don't see from Goldberg. Not, not in that way. And he slings Sarge over his shoulder and carries him to the back. And... Yeah. I thought it was it was only it was only a few minutes, but it was probably some of the best storytelling for you know just like a microcosm in Goldberg's career. The whole mentor, uh, you know, mentor mentee relationship, go just were just grew, well performed by everybody, sold brilliantly by commentary. Yeah. In terms of episodes we've watched, I think this is the best we've ever seen Goldberg in terms of a, an angle that you actually care about that isn't just Spear Jackhammer 3. Yeah. I mean, we had that match against Shane Douglas, which we said was, you know, probably the best mat, best physical in-ring match you could maybe get out of Goldberg, but this is probably the best character work we've had out of yes. Goldberg. That, that that's, exact, that's exactly what I was driving at. Yeah. There's really not much more I can add to this because it, it was a short segment. But it was brilliant. I loved it. And, you know, you wouldn't believe that you could invest in Sarge Dwayne Bruce because he's such an unlikable character. Mm. Um, I mean, we'd seen that Louis Ferreau. I'd actually watched the CNN mini-documentary that they did on the power plant um, literally the other day, and he was being an absolute dick in that too sort of thing, <laughs> you know, mm. and he really unlikable person. but. On this night, they told the right story, commentary, pushed it up. It was really good television, really good. It, we, we spoke before, maximised minutes. Yeah. And that is exactly what this did. It was, you just hit the nail on the head, it was really good television. No, I'm more than happy for this to go on the top five. It, it's certainly one that I'd picked out myself, so uh, really happy for this to go on the top five. Is that your notes or a bag of crisps? That's my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for my next point here. But yeah, I really enjoyed that. So I'm happy to put that on the top five. My next point, I'm going to have to go for it. I'm going to have to go for Norman Smiley versus Meng. <laughs> and cards on the table. This whole segment is my shit. <laughs> I mean... We get Norman Smiley coming into the ring and he's sort of cutting this promo about how his career's sort of been stalling a little bit recently. Uh, you know, he can't get a win. But he had a real 
good time in his career when he was in the hardcore division. And he's carrying the shoulder pads in his hand. He's not wearing the shoulder pads. But, you know, he's saying I was the only ever two-time WCW hardcore champion. So I'm going to go back into that division and I'm going to throw out an open invitation. Northampton's own Norman Smiley throwing out a hardcore invitation. Exactly. Northampton's own Norman Smiley, you know, get, get behind the Brits on the show. And he's in the ring. He's just holding the um, shoulder pads in his hand and Meng's music hits and Norman Smiley's face falls and he's trying to get the shoulder pads on as quick as he can before Meng gets into the ring. As he he tries not to shit his own heart. Yeah. And what makes it even better is that Daphne and Crowbar come down and uh, go on commentary while this is all going on. Crowbar is one of these people who you'd never expect to be good on commentary. But he's fucking brilliant. They should have had just Crowbar on commentary. You know, with it, it was really good. Uh, you know, and, sorry to cut you off, but I have to say, Stevie Ray, uh, from the last time we saw him, had vastly improved. Yeah, I think Stevie Ray is really good at you know talking about a given subject. He's really good at promos. He maybe struggles a bit with commentary, but he, he had come on definitely. And I think he'd been doing stuff on Thunder, so maybe he'd had time to improve. But during this match, we see Santa in the crowd. He's yep. sort of, you know, going out, handing toys to children, that sort of thing. And Meng and Norman Smiley sort of fight up to um, the entrance way, and they're by the crowd, and Santa's there giving out presents. And Crowbar saying on commentary that, you know, what, what sort of holiday season would it be without a season beating, and there's going to be coal in the stocking for both those guys. Stevie Ray, actually, because um, Meng's managed by Paisley, and she's got a big afro, and Stevie Ray says that she looks like a reject from Lady Sings the Blues, which was uh, the 1972 <laughs> film about um, Billie Holiday starring Diana Ross. Uh, Daphne ha- uh, also said that Meng looked like an extra from The Lost World, which was a yeah. reference to the short-lived uh, na- uh, TV series based on uh, the Conan Do- uh, Arthur Conan Doyle novel, The Lost World. <laughs> it was just like... She's got this, at the time, possibly slightly mainstream referencing, but now just so niche that I had to look up to make sure the TV series existed. But we get this bit where Norman Smiley grabs Santa's sack and starts throwing toys at Meng, and Santa climbs over the um, the guardrail, and Daphne shouts, get them, Santa. <laughs> that was That was one of the most joyous calls I've ever heard. Oh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I mean, Daphne's been a, an absolute um, diamond of some of these episodes that we've reviewed. Really enjoyed, really enjoyed her time on uh, Nitro. Then we get the matches back in the ring, and Santa throws Paisley in front of Meng, so Meng ends up doing the death grip on Paisley. Because he's been blinded by uh, soot from the chimney. And then his disguise comes off, and it's Terry Funk. Hardcore Santa. <laughs> Kikui runs in and Funk beats him up. Funk's hitting everyone with uh, a chair and he actually breaks it over uh, Meng's head. He's throwing toys out of the bag at people. (laughs) (laughs) It was when when Meng's got the two Tongan death uh, grips on Paisley because he's still blind and Kikui or whatever you call him, Kiwi, I I don't know. (laughs) He's just gotten there. And then Funk just belts him with a chair. And it was two shots that only staggered him. Three or four got three and four got him down to his knees. 
And then he just absolutely smashes it over Meng's head and his head gets stuck in the chair. And then Funk goes on the microphone. Oh, God. Says, you want Santa? <laughs> well, I'm the real Santa. <laughs> Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Let me tell you something, Cole. You better booker it better. And that noise means it's time for Steve-O to booker it better. Yes! Yes! I didn't know what he was going to do. Oh, man, this is going to be brilliant. So finally, after recording like 20 different videos about Ronaldo not starting for Man United, uh, basically I can now finally do the video for UTT Podcast. And it's all about, you better booker it better, punk. And... (laughs) (laughs) And essentially, it's regarding this Terry Funk um, ambush. He comes out of Santa Claus and it's... You want to see Santa Claus, huh? You want to see Booker T as Santa Claus? Well, ho, ho, ho. And let me tell you something, Cole. I'm going to give you a ho, 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 30 ho, ho, ho times. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, 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 So there you go, Steve-O, with his <laughs> buckering it better of Terry Funk's I'll Give You 11 Ho's. Oh, fucking yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I, uh, I, don't even know where, I don't even know where to start with that. I mean, I've written in my notes, this whole segment was a glorious clusterfuck in the best possible way. Yeah, no arguments from me. One, hardcore match. My shit. Two, Crowbar and Daphne on commentary. My shit. Meng's involved. My shit. Terry Funk dressed as Santa, beating the piss out of everybody. (laughs) Then, calling the crowd perverts, (laughs) saying he'll give them 11 hoes all at one time. And then, just making himself a match for Starcade, Crowbar coming in saying it would be his honour to wrestle Funk because Funk's one of his idols, and Funk just twatting him with the chair. My shit. It is... <sighs> yeah. So that was probably horrible coming through on the audio here, and we do just like splutter like a horse, but this was just incredible. The match itself, it wasn't great. It was generic brawling that didn't really have a lot of actual, you know, hardcore wrestling. There wasn't that many weapons. It was all rail shots and, you know, punches and headbutts and and all the rest of it. Christmas presents. (laughs) Until the Christmas presents came in. Although we did get a a big chop by Meng that brought a scream out of Norman, so, you know, but this was... Every time we we see Terry Funk, he does something brilliant. I honestly thought we wouldn't top that um, Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson versus the Mean Stream Posse for the, the the most joyful moment of the Monday Night Wars. We haven't. Oh, I don't know. I, that, this has to be up there for it's, me. Um, I mean, the, 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 at, at most, it's level. The thing about this is, though, it's like a prime example of what we don't see because WWE won the war. If WCW had won the war... 
we'd be getting this as a famous moment of the Attitude Era. Yeah, yeah, we would. The history is written by the victors. I had, I had no idea this ever happened. None. Just lost to history, lost to time in the doldrums because people are convinced that everything in this era WCW is bad. And it just isn't. I mean, there's an argument to be made for it being bad, but it's entertaining and who cares? As long as you're entertained, that's the main thing. Yeah, there's only two people that could have pulled this off and we normally find an excuse to get them on the top five. It's Terry Funk or Mick Foley. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I want a Funk. Now I wish that we'd have got a Foley and Funk like Santa face off. <laughs> that, that's what the that's what the uh, that's what the invasion angle should have boiled down to: Funk versus Foley, Santa street fight. Well, maybe that's why Raw's ratings were so low on Christmas Day <laughs> because they didn't have Santa Funk on the show. <laughs> Although we haven't watched it yet, maybe they did. <laughs> Santa Funk is coming to tear your town apart. <laughs> He's got a chair. <laughs> He's... He's making weapons. He's checking him twice. He doesn't give a fuck if you've been naughty or nice. <laughs> Santa Funk will wreck your shit. And this is after he'd been out in the shit when he'd thrown that chair up in the air and it hit him on the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I forgot he nearly brained himself. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, no, this isn't going on. <laughs> <laughs> of course. This, this is the Terry Funk moment. <laughs> the, the Terry Funk moment of the night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it, it has to go on. It was it's just so much fun. Excellent. What's your next one, Dan? Right, we've had one of the high points of the show. Well, two of the high points in the last two points. I want to talk about something now that really showed that the writing was on the wall for WCW and that just how desperate they were getting. And it's Jimmy Hart. His promo segment, we get a sort of a black screen with white writing. The following is a paid announcement from Jimmy Hart, which was <laughs> greeted by a great line of commentary. And it was just one of them. I think it was Shivoni going, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and we got a Jimmy Hart promo. It was perfectly serviceable. His delivery was good. He was, you know, his usual quick talking, high pitched. Everything I love to hate about Jimmy Hart. We say, it's me, the mouth of the cell. And I'm starting Jimmy Hart's radio network. By the way, his next short stop is in Memphis, Tennessee, where FM 100's morning crew, I think it was Ron, Steve and Danger Boy, will wrestle me in the Mid-South Coliseum on Monday Nitro. But remember, boys, Elvis Presley put Memphis on the map for rock and roll, and Jimmy Hart put Memphis on the map for wrestling. And this goes out to all you DJs out there. Quit hiding behind your microphones and wrestle me on Monday Nitro. It's time for you to stand up or shut up. And he cackles maniacally. And we get another black uh, black screen with the white writing saying something like the previous announcement was paid for by Jimmy Hart. And it just felt almost rock bottom desperate. They're advertising and begging for radio DJs to wrestle Jimmy Hart, who at this point is 57. And 
you know, he's still a slick talker and all that. And I know Funk's probably about that age as well at this point. But Jimmy Hart was, to my knowledge, never a wrestler. He was always a manager or, you know, whatever. And it just feels like such a come down. And it is. It's At one point they had Carl Malone, Dennis Rodman, uh, Jay Leno. And now they're begging for local DJs to step in the ring to get maybe a couple of hundred more people in an arena. I can't believe Will Sasso and Rita Sever haven't made that list of celebrities, Dan. I'm annoyed that I forgot Will Sasso. <laughs> DDP didn't forget Rita Sever. I'd forgotten that promo that scared me until you mentioned it. Now I'm going to have nightmares, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it just it, it was one of those things where it's like, I appreciate the initiative, but this is what it's boiled down to. This is what it's come to. I did love just after this promo, Scott Hudson said, who the hell is bankrolling these? They're not cheap. Yeah, that was, again, commentary tonight. You know, when we've spoken before about people who feel like they're just having fun and you can tell when somebody's enjoying the work, be it in-ring or in a vignette or in a promo whatever tonight it felt like commentary were just having an absolute blast and previously we've had commentary teams where they just they felt like they knew it was dying and they didn't care this feels like they felt they knew it was dying they didn't care but they were going to have a laugh yeah but scott hudson always elevates so it's always decent commentary when hudson's on the show oh yeah i bloody love scott hudson on these shows yeah he's marvelous I must admit, I mean, I was intrigued by this Jimmy Hart thing. It's like, what the fuck is going on? I actually looked at the next episode of Nitro. I can't, there didn't seem to be any of the headers that would suggest that Jimmy Hart did have a match. I don't even know if they were in Memphis the next week because Raw on the Monday that goes not adjacent to this, not head to head, was um, from the Memphis Pyramids. So it'd be quite unlikely that Nitro would run Memphis the week after Raw had gone and, you know, scorched the earth for the ticket sales. Well, you never know. Also, it it could even just have been that Jimmy Hart was going to go to Memphis, do this, film it, and then they'd just slot it into Nitro. Yeah, quite possibly. I I mean, I did actually mention it in my notes at the end. I'm actually intrigued to see what the fuck Jimmy Hart's going to do. So like a car crash rather than, you know, actually wanting to see him wrestle, but, you know... (laughs) Yeah, it's just I, I was the opposite way. I'm like I, I don't want to see Jimmy Hart wrestle a bunch of radio DJ local radio DJs. I, I don't think just, it would be wrestling though. I, I imagine it would be some kind of smoz sort of thing, you know. Yeah, it would probably it'd end up being. I've no interest in that either. <laughs> well, no, I know, but it, 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 it was it was just like a what the fuck moment and. You know, I, I was kind of, I was intrigued by it. I mean, as I say, I, I have made mention to it. So, yeah, it would have been truly awful, but just out of the box thinking. So uh, I'd probably agree with you that it's definitely a talking point, if nothing else. Yeah. yeah. Once again, I think with this one, we, we, we come with it from very different angles. I was looking at it and sort of lamenting how far WCW had fallen while, while also say, you know appreciating that, at least they're trying something. But what they've had to resort to is pretty low, you know, well, not low, but pretty desperate. And you're just kind of just like, 
yeah, we'll see what happens. It'll be yeah. terrible, but I'll see what happens. <laughs> we need to start falling out. Right, I don't think you will. I think you might actually agree with this one. Because my next point is Sid. And, you know, he's out there. He, he's got his amazing WCW dub that we love. He ends up he's having a match with Mike Sanders, who's the authority figure. You know, Mike Sanders is being a dick. Mike Sanders is trying to get out of the match. He's saying that he's in a medical evaluation and he can't wrestle. And um, Scott Hudson said, we knew that weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> I, I noted that down as well. Yeah. Uh, Scott, sorry, Scott Hudson also had another great line in that. Right at the very start, Sanders gets on the mic and says, hey, no, nah, no, nah, listen, this is very important. And all you hear is Hudson say, it can't be y'all doing it. <laughs> well, they, they never gave Mike Sanders a chance, did they? I mean, they were just because he because he, he wasn't he wasn't brilliant. He was only above average, just mar- marginally above average. Mike Sanders, yeah, you know. And, and Mike Sanders is saying, "Come on, Sid, you're a sensible guy. I've not been cleared. We can do this another time. Let's just shake hands." Sid grabs his hand. And he clotheslines him. Alabama slam, choke slam, power bomb, and Sid's the winner. And I love a 1999-2000-WCW Sid squash match. They are fucking best. And after the match, I don't know if you were going to touch on this. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to touch on uh, after the match. I'll, I'll leave it to you then. Because Sid is demanding keys to cars. And you oh, know, no, that, no, 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 that's not what I, that's not our, what right. I was on about. I'm on about the, uh, the promo. Oh, well, Sid bookers it better. <laughs> <laughs> or, does he stevie, or does he stevie it better because it seems to be to pop stevie well it was an impression of uh, Booker T don't hate the player hate the game let me tell you something Cole you better booker it better and that sound right there means that um, Sid's going to booker it better <laughs> please tell me you're actually splicing the clip into the show when you wake up Till sucker, mama says <laughs> it be that way. He does yell something along the lines of Stevie. What was it? Something like Sucker says if you don't wake up to Sucker says if you don't wake up till supper, Mama says it be that way sometimes. Sucker ain't got no class. Yeah, and I, it it seemed like I, a it seemed like they'd had a bet. I, th- I think they must have done. I did debate whether we should get Steve Otto Booker Sid Buckering it better, but it, it was so difficult to understand what Sid was saying. I didn't think I could do that to Steve Otto. And I tell you what, between your like WCW 2000 translation powers and my Kane powers not transferring over to Sid, it says a lot that neither of us can decipher that. Not fully anyway. Uh, oh, he was loving it. Yeah. He was loving it. But again, it's people enjoying the work and the, the, maybe the pit point that the, they know it's dying and they don't care. But that made it so much more entertaining to know that it added a sort of a, a layer of depth to it. In that, yeah, these are actual real people and they interact backstage. And yeah, although it wasn't intentional, I don't imagine, but it was still fun. Yeah. But Sid is going around backstage and demanding keys to cars. And then he starts 
parking cars and you think whose car is this and they're all different cars you know there's a white car there's a black car there's a there's a, a blue ford probe that i uh, noted <laughs> parking. and you're thinking what's going on you see playing that mobile game in real life where uh, the cars uh, are parked in it reminded me of uh, when you go to birmingham city away and you park in the saint andrew's car park across from the saint andrew's church that the ground's named after and they have volunteers from the church that will you know park you in really tightly so they can get as many people on the ground and then they've got to marshal you out sort of thing and i, I think sid was uh, reliving a birmingham city away game at this point um <laughs> i've never actually been to birmingham city away but i have been to aston villa and weirdly i went to uh went with some uni mates one of my uni mates was a hull fan hull city fan that was when hull were in the premier league and went to aston villa hull and I had to park in this, this dodgy fucking car park in Aston. In Birmingham. And I was just amazed that I got back to my car and it wasn't on bricks. And I only had a Corsa at the time. Wow. Well, I've had my uh, car rocked by fans outside Owen Road. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, that's Leeds for you, isn't it? But anyway, Sid's parking all these cars and you're thinking, what the hell's going on? And there's this whole thing where Ric Flair has said that... Sid and Scott Steiner can't touch each other in the building. You know, they've got to save it for Starcade. And Scott Steiner's having this match against Sergeant Awol. That might be a point that you might want to bring up if you're not going to accept this out. I won't go into that. But sort of at the end of the match, Sid comes on the big screen and he's saying, um, Ric Flair says that we can't fight uh, inside the building, but I'm outside. You're ducking me, which made me remember uh, Tank Abbott. And I put quack, quack in. Wait, wait. And he says, if you want some, come get some, channeling John Cena. Laying the groundwork for John Cena. Exactly. Well, John Cena is just a cheap Sid ripoff. And Scott Steiner <laughs> runs outside. No, he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. Scott Steiner has a very dainty little trot for a man of his size. <laughs> uh, Tony Schiavone is shouting, you know, it's freezing, it's 40 degrees. And Scott Hudson says, isn't that your car, Tony? <laughs> and it's like, where, where? <laughs> Because Sid just parks all these cars up together, sort of, you know, in a uh, a, a ring because he wants to fight Scott Steiner. Uh, you know, they start fighting each other. The Scott Steiner smashes some car windows, doesn't injure himself, so he's not Goldberg. So that's uh, an absolute bonus. Sid goes to powerbomb Steiner on the hood of a car. Steiner blocks it, ends up with Steiner... Uh, punching Sid uh, while they're on top of the car roof. The show goes off the air. It was an amazingly hot way to end a show. We've talked about these roars that go on for like a minute longer than they should. They have all the heat and then they cool it down and it ends. This didn't. This ended hot and it was brilliant. I've actually got it written down that this is one of the better endings to any show that we've watched. We've had a lot of we've had a lot of shows go off in a brawl. Uh, particularly Nitro's go off in some sort of brawl or multi-person beatdown. This is the most creative way they've done it and one of the more creative endings that we've seen. Absolutely. You are right in that I do want to stick a pin in it because I want to bring up the main event. But I'll talk about the main event. I'm wondering if we just chuck in the whole Sid and Scott Sta- Sid and Scott Steiner as a whole. Yeah. Because yeah. it really was ace. It, it, there's, it's no secret on this show. We love Sid. We love WCW Sid. Particularly his music, his dub on the network. But yeah, he looked... It's weird. At this point, Sid... You could, I don't know how old he was at this point, but you could just see a little bit of age creeping into him. 
but it just made him that little bit scary. Yeah. <laughs> and that little bit more like tough and crazed looking and and all the rest of it. But yeah, I, I can't really add anything to, to what you've already said. It was really well sprinkled throughout the show. It was obviously set up in the, the opening promo between Flair and uh, Mark Sanders. Uh, is it Mike Sanders? Or, no, it's Mike Sanders. Mike, Mike Sanders, yeah. Yeah, above average. <laughs> and he just... It was one of those things that we I think we both really like in wrestling, where the story sprinkled throughout the show and it reached a culmination and it was a point where you just go, I need to see what happens. Yeah. It was just two separate things just converging right at the end. So just before you go on to your Scott Steiner point, Dan, it looks like there's some more beers on the go. Uh, there are. I'm just uh, about halfway through the, the OFS 050, which is uh, a very nice sour. A little bit bitter on the aftertaste for my liking, but it's still a nice beer. The Red Dancing was very good as well, 7.2, so no wonder I'm feeling a little bit buzzed. And I've now got uh, one of the Fruit Loop series from Brass Castle. It's uh, Galaxy Hops and Passion Fruit Pale Ale. And then to uh, finish the night off, potentially, I've got um, an Indulgence Chocolate Cake Stout by Abbeydale that's uh, 7%. So I've not gone for any of the massive hitters, but uh, that'll do very nicely. You want anything new? Yeah, so I've had the Vedette and pretty much finished the Dry Hopped Wheat, and I'm probably going to give them both three out of five and on tap. So they, they were decent, uh, especially for beers that were clinging on to the sell by day. Um <laughs> I've, I think you've had this on a show before, a Varanique Neon Stout from uh, Craft Brewery. This goes off in April, yes. so I've got a little bit of time. 6.2% Croatian Stout. That was a B52 special. It is. And then I've got a Belgian Double. I'm guessing this is from Salt Air Wines, because I went in and bought a load of Belgian beer from there. Um, that's 7%, and that's from Postal Brewery. Very nice. I know you like your Belgians. Yeah, well, it's only a, dr- a double, so at least I've not jumped onto the quads yet. Well, don't do, don't do that if you don't do that if you're Kevin Nash, you'll tear him. Yeah, <laughs> or Triple H. Yeah. Or, you know, so talking about uh, talking about Nash's being let downs, Commander. <laughs> 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 Once again, it's very much not like him to uh, to have to bail, but circumstances do get in the way, and we understand. Maybe when he's uh, practicing his parachute uh, training, he has to bail, but uh, that's probably the only time. And I think people should really uh, fly by some of his matches on YouTube. It's really worth checking out. Absolutely. We were saying before, if you want about entertainment in wrestling, Wing Commander Nash is one of the most entertaining wrestlers you will ever see, in my humble opinion. He is. No relation of El Commando, just a similar body shape and... uh, Tattoos. And wrestling style. And accent. And they travel to the shows together in the same car. And share a gym bag. But apart from that, no connection. And uh, it's, it's surprising the resemblance he has to Miles' dad as well. It's shocking. No, I think you're reaching there, Rob. There's no way anybody can have the time to be a pilot and a lawyer. No. No way. Plus, I've seen Wing Commander Ash drink and Miles' dad is sober. Generally. <laughs> also, I wanted to call him out for being a liar on the last show he was on. Because he told us, I can't remember if it was on the air or just as we were talking privately, telling us that he, was, he wasn't he wasn't going to be back at Rise for the foreseeable future. Fucking turned up in July. Mm, Did the whenever it was. Yeah. yeah. 
don't get me wrong, I popped like a motherfucker to see him because I've been waiting to see him wrestle Gene Money for God knows how long. And it was brilliant. It was everything I wanted it to be. At the same time, I said to him, you fucking lied to me. <laughs> so, Dan, tell me about Scott Steiner. Yes, uh, Scott Steiner, very large, muscular man. Sorry, I've gone off of my notes. Hang on a minute. There was an excellent bit in this show. Scott Steiner did a Hurricane Rana, and Tony Schiavone described it as a spinning Steiner scissors. <laughs> Didn't even pick up on that. Um, but yeah, I was, I was going to say, it was, it, this was kind of like two vehicles on a collision course for the whole show. You had the Steiner arrives at the arena, Corporal Cajun tries to talk to him, beats the piss out of him, before uh, Sergeant Airwall gets in and security break him up. We get a, uh, a Steiner promo, which is always a treat. Always. <laughs> Me and Gene, what makes you think I care about what Ric Flair has to say? I never gave a damn. See what happened is Sid Vicious came to the building and begged to Flair to keep Steiner away because he felt the pain. He'll knock Sid out if he sees him. Does Airwall really want to wrestle him or is it a Flair plot? And this is something like, you keep lining him up and I'll keep knocking him down. He said, Ric Flair, if you even think about stripping my title, I will come to your house and kick your ass. And Scott Hudson said, I believe him. Yes, yeah, he did. <laughs> was, that, was that before or after the, um, uh, the promo with, uh, with me and Gene? Or was it in the same thing? Oh, no, that was at the start of the AWOL match. It was, yes. Yeah, so so I, I, would have, I would have got there. I would have got to that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's all right. I was talking, I was talking all over your points because I got excited. I'll so, drop River Song in there saying spoilers. Okay. How? Spoilers. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't like the champions coming out first. It can get to fuck. Steiner looked great with the belt coming out for the match. It did just suit him. You had the Medeja threatening a fan with the pipe. And then Steiner gets on the mic, says, Flair, consider yourself a lucky man. In fact, get on your hands and knees and thank Anne for changing your mind, whatever that means. But understand this, if you ever think about stripping me of the title, if you ever think of fighting me, I will come to Charlotte Redneck, North Carolina. I will come to your house and in your house, I'll kick your ass. Which is at the, the point at which Scott says, I believe him. Because I think we all do. And he's saying to Flair to remember what happened to Sting, remember what happened to Booker. Same thing's going to happen now. Send him in and I'm, I'm going to knock him down. And Sergeant Airwall comes out, which I actually thought was a very nice play on his uh, his previous name of the wall. And he's got his table with him, which we've seen before. But he was carrying it normally. He wasn't carrying it head style. I was a bit disappointed. Not going to lie. I wanted to see him carrying the table on his head, but, you know, you can't, you can't have everything. That um, may affect his chances when we get to the award section of the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, Steiner jumps to start, and it's very much big lads brawling to start with. You know, stomps, big clubbing shots, kicks in the corner, punches, a chop. Steiner rips Airwall's shirt off. He tries to hip toss him, and Airwall reverses. And this is the start of Airwall getting far more offensive than I expected. To the point where I know that Sergeant Airwall has never been WCW champion. But I was questioning whether they did a, something like, you know, whether they did a finish where he wins but it gets overturned or restarted or something like that. Because it was just two big units going at it. 
the wall is one of these guys that you kind of think if WCW had stuck around, what's the ceiling for a guy like that? I mean, I, I know they'd kind of pushed him at various points and cooled off at various points, and well, you know, is is a big unit, but they had been behind him, you know. Well, given that he's a wall, the ceiling's as high as he wants to lift it. <laughs> I, I, I just think with a lot of it, you know, I mean, you sort of think. I could have easily seen within the next year, 18 months, people like Shane Douglas being WCW champion. Easily. I could have seen the wall eventually getting there. I I could have seen, you know, really strong mid-card careers for the likes of Corporal Cajun and stuff. So, you know, there were certainly people who just didn't kick on anywhere else afterwards. Yeah, definitely. Back to the match. Stan hits the belly to belly for two. He whips it while he clotheslines. Zim hits an elbow, goes for the pin, rolls up after the one count and does the classic press-ups. And then we get the outside brawling with chairs and Steiner going for the lead pipe. So apparently it's no DQ, but it had never actually been mentioned. I think they actually said on commentary that um, the rules have been relaxed in WCW. Oh, right. OK, I missed that. Yeah. I will say, though, the show that we reviewed last week had worse officiating than this one. Yeah, fair enough. Awal gets on top with chair shots of his own. Steiner b- b- rallies back briefly, but then we see Awal just hoist Steiner up and hit a running power slam for two. Awal goes on him and hits the choke slam, and both me and the commentary both said at the same time, and I said this out loud watching it, so I actually got into this. I said, why isn't he pinning him? And then I've written in my notes, because then uh, Scott Hudson, I think it was, say the same thing. So why is, it, why is he setting up the table? And I've just put in my notes, dickhead. Just absolute dickhead. What a crank. He, he, he just chokeslammed a guy. Pin him. He doesn't have to go through the table. It's not a tables match. You fucking knob. So he goes him again to put him through the table. Stan hits a, a really good-looking straight right hand. <laughs> it's just, or was it a right cross? Just a really good-looking punch to Awal. Uh, he hits T-bone suplex through the table, grabs a stand recliner, and that's it. Rob, that pint looks horrendous. What has happened there? That is, you've muted yourself, but all I can say is Rob has got a pint with more head than both of us have probably had in our life. Well, speak for yourself, Daniel. Um, the, the <laughs> one centimetre of beer and the rest was head. This is a fizzy, fizzy beer. It's a brand new one. I refer you to uh, Sir Al Snow, former European champion. What does everybody want? It's hat. Fair enough. (laughs) From his La Rochelle gimmick. Yeah. Touché. This match was it was way more competitive than I expected. There was Steiner versus Awal. Uh, it was two big lads knocking lumps out of each other. There was a bit. Of, there was actually more hardcore wrestling than bell to bell of Norman Smiley versus Meng. So yeah, it was very much my shit, and it was part of a really good part of uh, of a story that was told throughout the show. So I'd actually be more than happy to put these two together, amalgamate them, and put the whole Sid versus Steiner starring their respective matches on there. Yeah, definitely. I loved that bit in this match where Awal goes for the table and Medeja runs away because she thinks that he's going for her. Yeah. And so the commentary, yeah. 
you know, I, th- I thought that was great, but he, you know, he was laser focused on that table because uh, he was a little bit table obsessed. And it was kind of interesting as well, the undercurrent of the misfits in action, whether they should win at all costs or play by the rules story that was going through the night as well. Um, yeah, I didn't quite get that because General Hugh G. Rection was heard saying, when, given the whole win, win at all cost, but we do it our way thing. Yeah. And then he was there blatantly telling him not to, not to cheat. Yeah, win at all costs, as long as you obey the rules as laid down by Lord Admiral Mount Evans. Yeah, <laughs> win at all costs. Win at all costs in these very clearly defined parameters. Yes, I'll be honest. I don't. I don't. As a group, I don't care for that. I don't really care for the misfits in action. But they really suffer from having the a, a really shitty network dub. I loved their original theme, but yeah, I, that that network dub. I've got. I have to believe completely killed the reaction for Corporal Cajun. Yeah, he's in his home state. He's, he's Lash Larue. You know, full blooded. Louisiana boy. What we saw when he was that show in New Orleans, it, it was over as fuck. Yeah, wasn't it? Absolutely over as fuck. And he had to have been here, but you wouldn't know it for because the dub robbed the robbed all the energy. Yeah, because I mean, he really played up. Well, obviously, Corporal Cajun is really playing up the Cajun gimmick, but yeah, we get a lot of that with these WCW dubs, unfortunately. The Sid Scott Steiner thing needs to be on. Glorious finish. A really decent main event as well. Um, yeah. Re- really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the Sid squash. Both of them had a great night. Because when Ric Flair was cutting that promo saying they won't touch each other, the, the crowd were really angry. Yeah. You know, they wanted to see interaction. And then we got that glorious car park brawl at the end, which was seconds rather than minutes but i would hold that up in in terms of engagement and excitement against any of the car park brawls you know that we've had in wcw in nxt um in aew were you thinking of the same uh, the same car park brawl i was (laughs) well there is the scene deleted car park brawl but i mean there was also the best friends versus the lucha brothers um with a run-in from sue who is Probably the the second most over mum in wrestling, Trent's mum Sue. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean she is no Judy Bagwell, but um, <laughs> she is. One Who is? Of, well, she she is one of my favourite people in AEW. Fair enough. Um, I've seen a couple of clips of Sue on uh, on being the elite. I don't watch BTE because I, well, I, I barely have time to keep up with anything so but i've seen um i've seen clips of her and interacting with i believe it was dark order and Brody lee at the time which was which was brilliant really yeah good yeah she, she was really good on being the elite i religiously watched being the elite until gallows and anderson just made it about knob jokes i just i just couldn't see i feel like that's the point i should pick it up because yeah. um, your penises are funny i did very much enjoy the gator golf tournament that was actual sporting presentation um, they, you know, uh, and that's the only time they've had a sporting presentation in AEW. I was all over that shit. Uh, <laughs> was, that a, was that a mini golf thing by any chance? No, no. Uh, have you not seen uh, Gator Golf? There's like a little plastic alligator 
and you've got to get the ball in its mouth, and then its tail like flips the ball out. Oh, cool. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you're supposed to play it in the living room, but they were playing it like all over the arena. So you'd have to like get the like get the golf ball from one side of the arena to the other. So you know, it was like seventeen to eighteen shots or whatever in terms of. Rob's still having still having beer issues. I can't believe it's this fizzy. I think to be fair, now that you mention it, I do remember because I just popped it out of the bottle. I didn't bother pouring it. I mean, to sort of slurp it and get rid of the uh, get rid of the excess. Yeah, um, but the Gator Golf Tournament on being the elite is definitely worth checking out. For the CO2 shortage, um, just get bottles of that Varanique out apparently and then siphon off the excess. Yeah, there's no CO2 shortage in Croatia. <laughs> but we won't get political. Oh, it's not. This is a Croatian beer, Dan. That's... Uh... Yeah, yeah, I know, but I was going to go off on a whole half-assed Brexit thing and I can't be bothered now. So, we're happy that we're putting this on the top five. So, we have our collective top five, which is Vito and Reno now being Canon brothers and their sister Marie that's uh, on the show after ten months. Because Rob is the only person, apart from the people who wrote it, who noticed couldn't believe it. I was like, what, what's going on here? I probably wouldn't have even noticed that at the time. It's probably because we've watched them so close together. If you'd, yeah. if you'd watched the 40 episodes in between, there's no chance you'd have remembered. No, not at all. We have Sarge versus Goldberg in a surprisingly um, good character work from Goldberg. We have the glorious clusterfuck of Norman Smiley versus Meng featuring Santa Funk. And Crowbar and Daphne on commentary, which was an absolute highlight of the Monday Night Wars. We have Jimmy Hart bizarrely challenging radio DJs to matches that don't appear to ever transpire. So bad. And we have the Sid Vicious Scott Steiner rivalry throughout the night. So good. So good. So now it's time for an ad break where we go through the ads that were featured on the show. So there was a, an advert for WCWgear.com. Yeah, moving um, into the 21st century. Yeah, you could get a Jeff Jarrett choke on that slap nuts t-shirt or a Lance Storm t-shirt that said, don't blame Kennedy, you should blame yourself. I will take the Lance Storm shirt in a 4XL, please. <laughs> or an American medium. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that shouldn't have tickled me as much as it did but it did Goldberg was wearing a Harley Davidson jacket I didn't even notice that fair play to him there was an advert for WCW Assault which had been out for a while on the Playstation they advertised, they actually did a Playstation and an N64 advert I believe it had literally just come out on the N64 when this episode came out it is the worst-selling WCW game of all time. It sold 200,000 units. It's entirely set backstage. There's no matches in the ring. Uh, I'm a retro wrestling game collector, so <laughs> obviously I've got it. But, um, yeah, just to sort of complete the, <laughs> the collection. Even, even, even at 11 years old, I looked at that game and thought, I'll pass. <laughs> uh, I won't even ask for I won't, I won't even ask for it for Christmas. 
I don't know if they buried a load of them in the desert like they did with ET, but uh, I'm guessing they probably did. I doubt it was that bad that it didn't that it nearly collapsed the entire gaming industry. Well, there was actually going to be a sequel to this. Uh, well, the, the, another game after this within the whole WCW uh, run that was going to be on the PS2 as opposed to the PS1, and they showed like images of it in gaming magazines, etc. But obviously, once the takeover with WWF happened, it never transpired. Mm-hmm. But Shit. the the next generation game looked at least on paper to be really good but we never got that unfortunately i wonder i wonder how far down the line they got making that because i remember hearing a while back about it was a was it star fox game that never got released production got halted at some point down the line but they had most of the code written somebody managed to get their hands on the code and actually adapt it and make the game that never was Oh wow! And it was it was one of those that I don't think it got. Obviously, they couldn't make it and sell it because Star Fox is still a Nintendo property, but it was available like like as a, a free online thing, just for people to play. And, and I don't know if Nintendo ever took it down, but I would love if someone managed if if they got far enough down the line of of making this game for the WCW PS2 game to uh, to come to fruition somehow. I know the company that had made them went on to make the uh, backyard wrestling game featuring the Juggalos, etc. So I don't know if they use the same engine and whatnot in that, possibly. I did forget about that, so that could be it, yeah. Yeah, possibly. There was an advert for the NBA on TNT. DDP and Kimberly will be uh, reading stories to children at the Mall of Georgia on the 19th of December. And that's sponsored by 101.5 Picks Country Radio. More radio tie-ins. And I don't know why, but I just imagine DDP reading stories in an overly positive, bordering on aggressive manner and just scaring kids. I still want a copy of Canyon's autobiography read by Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, so do I. They shouldn't promise you things if they're not going to deliver. Wizards of the West Coast have created a WCW trading card game. And I went online to have a look to see if I could find any. They are a rip-off on eBay. Well, did you hear what the, the tagline of this game was? No. New ways to get slap happy with your friends. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, a marketing department sat up all night and thought of that one. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it, obviously, there's some a fair few different interpretations, but the one that's just got into my mind is: Do you remember when happy slapping was all over the news? Oh God, yeah. That, but when was that? Like late two thousands, yeah, twenty ten, yeah, about yeah, ten years ago. Right, yeah, like one of the first sort of viral online things, just filming yourself going up and slapping someone in the street and running away. Yeah, not good. Talking about people who would go up and slap someone in the street, you can uh, meet Scott Steiner and Medeja at the Excel Centre uh, in St Paul's, Minnesota. What a segue. What a segue. Do you know what? I'd probably go to that just to see how long it took before Scott Steiner decided he had enough and started powerbombing people. And in 2000, uh, people may well have gone to the Colorado Rapids uh, Centre to meet Ric Flair, but I don't know how many would go in 2021. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll leave that one alone. In terms of shout-outs that we've had for the show, Graham at Good Bad Wrestle said that uh, 
he'd be listening closely to see if we could get our hands on any of the Thunderosa goes. I offered to buy six cases. I thought it was at ten cases. But nobody ever got back to me. I think I put the tweet in the wrong place. Oh, dear. Uh, he did also post a picture of Alan Lamb. Yes, he did. Quality. Quality. Millwall Chris said that we were uh, weirdos for uh, discussing um, Jeff Jarrett's sandwiches. Um, we didn't actually mention it on uh, this review. I had... Um, um, I will be coming uh, to it. Well... We'll mention it, but I had put out one of the thumbnails from this episode where it says Jeff Jarrett brings more sandwiches. On the one hand, more sandwiches is good. On the on the bad side, Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. Danny at Scottish Juggalo started a uh, debate about uh, what Rene Goulet would have been called in NXT 2.0. John underscore Soir, Radio Techers. Tresbottle and Eli KX uh, VIII all got involved in the debate, and um, the latter two uh, were debating about Wurzel Gummidge. And uh, <laughs> there was a, pic- a picture of John Pertwee, uh, the third doctor in his Wurzel Gummidge uh, incarnation, uh, posted to the chat, who, who was quite Rene Goulet esque. He was. I, I can't remember the name I threw out for him. I think it was something along the lines of WWE would have called him the number one Frenchman, Pierre Baguette, or something like that. <laughs> Daniel Bryan in South Pole Regional Wrestling was Rene Beret, wasn't he? Yes. <laughs> and he also pitched himself uh, the name for, to WWE of being Lloyd Bonnier, yeah. but spelled B O N with a with an accent and E R. So it just said Lloyd Boner. <laughs> Horatio Max at the Love of AEW podcast um, shouted us out on on the actual podcast, so thank you very much for that. He did say it was going to be the last episode. That's unacceptable. Yeah, quite right. Quite right. Unacceptable. Horatio, long-time support of the show. It was great to hear him shout us out. We'll just have to see what season two brings in terms of guests, won't we? We will. We we might go to AEW. I'm, I must remember to... Uh, to reach out to Horatio before this airs as well, otherwise I'm going to make myself look a right dickhead. <laughs> Won't be the first time, Dad. Actually, to be fair, by my standards, it's just it's just an average day. Yeah. <laughs> at least there's no, no at least there's no drink adult bullshit involved. But we'd love to have Horatio on the show. That would be really good. Mags at Podfather Mags asked oh, um, how. Asked how much Dan is too much Dan after he had appeared on uh, UTT and Bang Bang this week. Yeah, I was Rick Rudin. Yeah, um, in the Monday Night Wars. No, Rick Rudin, not Lex. Although, like I said, uh, Andy actually did that first, appearing on both shows on the same day. Um, so really, I'm more like the knockoff version, which was Champer appearing on NXT and Impact. Well, we've done it before. We both did it when we were on Bang Bang 50. Yeah, but I'm discounting that one because that had everybody <laughs> on it. Matty, at guru of Mattitude, said he actually listened to this week's show, but he was on it, so... Yeah, cheers, mate, you fucking self-serving douche. Uh, well, that's, I've said it before, me and Matty are old mates, so I can talk to him like that, even when he's not here to defend himself. Thank you for listening, Matt, but also get through the back catalogue, you jerk. Yeah, Tom at Twitch Van Dam said that people should be listening to UTT podcast, although he was also on it this week. <laughs> he was as well, but Tom also... Uh, put us over in a reply, a response to your tweet as to what was his favourite uh, weekly wrestling or wrestling-related show. Yeah, I very much appreciate it. 
Talking about Bang Bang Podcast, Andy at Bang Bang uh, Pod uh, apologised for the late shout-out as he'd been drinking too much this last few days. I simply do not believe it of, uh, of young Andrew. I, I do not believe he would ever overindulge in uh, in any of that laughable Euro pits. I went on Andy's Untapped the other day and he's only got three different beers on it. But he hasn't got Tisky on it. I can't believe he hasn't got Tisky on it. He should have at least four. <laughs> Quite frankly, that's just criminal. I feel like I need to send him a care package from the uh, Eastern European mini market in the, in, in, the, uh, in the street near me. There's some really good Eastern European beers, even if you were, you were just focused on Eastern European beers. Oh, there are. Cy Powell at SJP Words said that the Monday slash Tuesdays are bloody great with Bang Bang, A Change in Attitude and UTT. And obviously chain wrestling as well, if you catch a live shows. Mm-hmm. And Axel from Zelda 3 shouted out to us as being one of his favourite podcasts, so uh, thank you very much for that. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, it's always really nice and, and humbling and slightly confusing for me to see because just absolutely blown away by the fact that uh, the people listen and enjoy. Not for not because what I think what we do is bad, just because I'm always continually amazed that anything I'm involved in can be any good. <laughs> no comment because I'm involved in it as well. Um, <laughs> no, you're the, well, yeah, I, I won't start bullshitting about my imposter syndrome. No, no. Uh, you get short strip from me if you do. So it's time for the awards section of the show. And match of the night, what would you give that to Dan? For me, it's got to be Sarge versus Goldberg because it was the most compelling and it drew me in at such a short amount of time. The only other match I've seen draw me in that quickly, because bear in mind, I've not really seen anything around it, apart from what was on this show, was Piper versus Brett at WrestleMania 8. For the IC title. Piper versus Brett for the US title on one of the Nitros we covered was really good. It was. But but the Piper versus Brett thing, it was that built from a promo backstage. It was that and then it was done and it was into the match. That match bell to bell was a better wrestling match than what we saw tonight. But the concept of getting a match built that quickly and getting me emotionally invested... That it hit that same note, so for that reason, I'm giving it to Sarge versus Goldberg. Yeah, it, it's a good call. I think that was certainly the story of the night in terms of the match of the night. I'd go for Steiner versus um, Airwall. That was my second choice, that's what I was torn between. Um, definitely those two. What would you give you moment of the night to? I'm really torn here, really torn because I wanted to give it to Santa Funk. And the big reveal. But I can't. Because I have to give it to the Harris brothers abandoning Jeff Jarrett so they can go take a shit. Because <laughs> the amount of times I've been late for this podcast, or nearly been late for this podcast, because I've had to go for a dump. It, ju- it just resonates with me. you know. And also, we get the bonus of them abandoning Jeff Jarrett. Which is always nice to see. The whole thing about that is Rey Mysterio was supposedly put laxatives in the sandwiches that they've got for um, the Harris brothers. And you see the Harris brothers and they have six yard long sandwiches that they eat. They're they're big boys. They'd need the toilet even if there wasn't laxatives with that. (laughs) But the funny thing is that amount of bread and cheese, it's going to take a while to get through. 
But the funny thing is, Jeff Jarrett had convinced them to be his tag team partner for some sandwiches. And when Jeff Jarrett came in with the sandwiches that he was going to give them, they were clearly both each getting a six-inch Subway sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they thought this three yards each of sandwiches were... I tell you what, that is a lot of food to eat. I once, uh, years back now, when man versus food was still a thing, I tried to do uh, to eat two two-foot-long hot dogs. You know, top top with all the onions and, yeah. and cheese and whatnot. I got through one of them and I felt like I was going to die. Wow. But also, it had this really bad chilli on the top of it that was, you know when you get a really bad ready-meal lasagna and it gets that kind of like film of oil on the top? Mm. The, the chilli was like that, so I think that's what nearly killed me. Mm, not good. Not good. I'm giving the moment of the night to Terry Funk shouting, I'm the real Santa Claus. <laughs> you can't argue with it. I mean, yes, kids. That, this is what children should be told. Yes, Santa's coming. There's good news and bad news. Santa's coming, but it's Terry Funk. <laughs> Show him that clip. <laughs> he, he might throw a present at you, or he might just hit you on the head with a chair. Um, no, or he might throw the chair up in the air and it land on his own head. <laughs> and that, that's, parenting. that's proper parenting. Prepare him for every opportunity, every eventuality. Who would you give your MVP of the night to, Dan? My MVP of the night is someone who stole the show in seconds, and it's Terry Funk. Yeah. <laughs> because he came out dressed as Santa, threw toys at people, beat the piss out of everyone, and provided one of the most just joyous segments I've ever watched. Yeah, I'm going to have to go for Terry Funk as well. I know this is back-to-back awards for him, but he's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, we said at the time when it, when he was on those episodes of Raw that they had one older person on the show and it was the absolute right person to have. And obviously when, you know, his time at WWF ended, it was the absolute right decision for WCW to snap him up. We have seen some fucking amazing Terry Funk moments in these nitros. Who else can go from branding someone to being Santa? Well, it, it's Mick Foley or Terry Funk, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they weren't doing that on the other channel. No. So, Dan, the most important award of the night, who would you give the René Goulet Award for Outstanding Haircut of the Night to? I was quite torn on this because the obvious answer is Sid. But I've given it to Sid before and it feels like he's a mainstay of the award. So I wanted to go some, you know, go for somebody a little bit different. So I've come for Corporal Cajun. Yeah. It was verging on mullet adjacent. I am going to go for the human poodle that is Chuck Palumbo. That is a very good shout. That is a very good shout. I'm actually annoyed I didn't think of Chuck Palumbo. I've just looked up Corporal Cajun. It was definitely sort of ginger slash red, but it was um, it was sort of curled up just a, just above his earlobes. Yes. So if it, a little, weirdly, a little bit like Pippi Longstockings-esque, <laughs> but a lot, lot shorter. Also, for just for reference, uh, Lash LaRue, I've just seen his uh, Wikipedia here, he's a, a cartoonist and caricature artist now. Well, that's a worry, because that would describe Jerry Lawler. And he's still only 44. Mm. So he could have a comeback. He could. He could. As I said before, I think he should have had a, a, big, a better career than he had. So what did you give you sign of the night to Dan? It was a really slim pickings night, wasn't it? For signs. 
There was a lot there, but not a lot good. Good scrolling back up through my notes in the Filthy Animals versus Jeff Jarrett match, because that ended up being a handicap match, a handicap elimination match. Uh, somebody had a sign that said Double J sucks, and I appreciate that. Uh, in the Franchise versus Corporal Cajun match, which again we didn't mention, but was was half decent, uh, somebody just had a sign that said, I love potato salad. That was there all night. That that kept coming up. I was like, I really love potato salad. Yeah. Somebody had a sign, somebody held up a sign which said how they felt about Sergeant Goldberg during their match. It just said assholes. Somebody had done a cutout of Goldberg's head and shoulders uh, with a Who's Next speech bubble, which a lot of effort went into that, even though it did look a bit like a Simpson. Uh, in Mike Sanders versus Sid Vicious, somebody held up a sign that simply said Sid Mullet. Yeah, the only other one I saw was, I like time-travelling fans on these shows. I like to imagine people have gone back in time, gone to a WCW show, held up a sign, and somebody just had a sign that said, I heart Trent, which I assume is a Liverpool fan travelling back in time. Possibly Lizzie Evo, but we'll never know. Uh, but my sign of the night goes to, just a sign for the irony, this is the lowest rated episode of Nitro, and somebody had a sign that said RIP WWF with yeah, in, in a coffin. <laughs> uh, oh, God, you you just not not hit the nail on the head there at all. That was hubris as best, wasn't it, really? Just on Trent Alexander-Arnold, did you see that FIFA tournament they did with all the football league clubs during the pandemic? Yes, uh, well, I knew of it, yeah. Yeah, and Trent Alexander got to the final and he lost and they were like, you know, live streaming this whole thing and he lost and he like threw his controller and they're asking him questions and he was just staring straight at the screen, like his TV screen, <laughs> not at the camera, like side on him, like and he wouldn't talk to him, he was just throwing a proper fit, it was brilliant. Yeah. The video game rage is real. And shout out to Carlin Grant, I think he got quite far uh, representing Huddersfield Town and Football Manager on uh, the alternate version, so... <laughs> In terms of sign of the nights, Major Guns, I'll load your cannon. Oh dear, no. Somebody had spelled out WCW.com. Oh, that, well, that's, that's as Cajun as it gets. They, they actually thought you had to spell out. And I can't get on this website. I don't know what's going on. I'm typing in WCW.com. <laughs> Sounds like one for our mate Sam Rogers. But the absolute best sign of the show. Someone had a sign that said, Medeja, I'm your hookup. And when Medeja walked past it, she made them aware in no uncertain terms that they were not. <laughs> I didn't notice that, but I appreciate it in hindsight. Yeah, she was like shouting at them. It was fucking brilliant. So, Great stuff. Yeah, we've seen some brilliant stuff from Medeja on these shows. Uh, yeah. you know, uh, I love that. So, Dan, what would you rate this shot of 10? I'll get to my rating in a minute. It's just I wanted to say first, this this show, it's, we've gone through a lot of the positives and things we've enjoyed, and obviously that one sort of turned in the punch bowl. But it, overall, it very much for me was, sounds redundant to say, but positives and negatives. The, the highs were high. So, you know, Steiner and Sid, Smiley versus Meng and that whole thing, Goldberg, Sarge, Terry, Terry Funk in general, I enjoyed the Harrises shitting themselves. And uh, I'll give him his due. Mike Sanders was... Better than the cat as an authority figure, meaning he was just above average. But the negative side of things, I just, I never clicked with Misfits in action. Despite the wall get having a really solid, the wall and Cage having solid matches individually, it was very much separate from the Misfits in action, if you like. 
it just never really clicked for me. The Jimmy Hart challenge in the radio DJs was just desperation. And I still don't fully connect with Crazy Flair, even if he's more coherent tonight than we've seen him previously. So there was, amongst the good, there was stuff that was either average or not so good. So looking into it, the, the sort of the bell-to-bell action, there was a lot that was entertaining. We've said about the main events, Ad Goldberg, Lash LaRue versus Franchise was all right, but there was nothing uh, sort of averaged out at exactly that. It was average, you know, some high points, some not so great. Um, the the promos, there was nothing spectacular, but there was nothing terrible. Uh, so again, that's uh, that that averages out. Average that was about a five. Uh, the production elements, uh, I can't really find much at fault beyond nitpicky things. So it's probably an eight out of ten. Commentary, as I said, seems to be having a real blast, and they actually had a really nice new intro movie rather than what they'd had before, uh, which was a nice change of pace. Uh, the storyline stuff, Sid and Steiner just really, really elevate this. Uh, the Sarge Goldberg stuff was done very well. While it didn't connect with me, I respected the amount of time they took uh, they put into the Misfits in Action stuff. And then obviously you have the story of the Harris brothers shitting themselves, which will always get a pop. So I gave that a good solid seven. Uh, the fan response, uh, I mentioned before that they know who they liked. There were some decent pops in there. Again, there weren't, there weren't an awful crowd by any means, but there weren't anything special. So that's about five. So that for me balances out. Uh, um, let me just do the quick maths there. Because I've, I've actually elevated a few bits from what I noted down. Graham will love this live maths. And I'm getting it completely wrong because I'm just guessing. Because uh, I've just jacked it up half a point of what it was before. I've given it a 6 out of 10. Yeah. I'm very much in the same boat as you with this one, Dan. There was some stuff that I loved. Some stuff felt like it dragged a bit. It was, as you say, one of the best endings to a show we've got. I guess to a certain extent, you always have a bit more of a positive vibe if it's ended well. You know, if it starts yeah. good and ends badly, and we've had shows like that before when Billy Gunn's come and killed them, and that leaves a sour taste in your mouth, really. I'd give it a 6.5. It was a lot better than I expected it to be. Some absolute golden moments with Terry Funk and Goldust. You know, Goldust. I even, I mean, I Goldberg and Goldberg Sarge, uh, the Terry Funk stuff. I even went on to the next episode of Nitro to watch Lance Storm have to sing the American National Anthem, as was the stipulation God. from his rule. We, we um, didn't even mention that. No, we, we didn't. Uh, so yeah, it had that bingeability factor for me, but it does get held back by some of the other elements in the show. You know, it, it wasn't uniformly great, which is why it gets a, a Mike Sanders type. Yeah, it does, and it, it, oh. it's... But I think the crucial point of this is that it's nowhere near as bad as the rating makes it out to be. Oh, God, no. I mean, as we say, that ter- that Terry Funk moment should be replayed as one of the iconic moments of the Monday Night Wars. And, and beyond that, I think the, the whole Steiner Sid thing, it should yeah. be one of those where people look back and say, do you remember that episode of Nitro where Steiner and Sid, they weren't supposed to touch you, that were, they went off air fighting in the car park? Yeah. Yeah, I think there were three iconic moments of this show that don't get classed as iconic moments. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're spot on. Yeah. 
it's just it's just a shame that some other bits didn't you know quite live up to that but we've had that with shows before you know yeah in terms of this show like i was actually doing this show i don't think this show's been as good as it could have been because we didn't have wing commander nash with his bullshit alarm yeah we probably would have focused on a bit more of the negatives <laughs> would have had well, that on the bright side at least we haven't had gary the cat presenting his anus well talking about cat's anuses would you be surprised that the community <laughs> vote on cage match gave this show an average rating of four and a half out of ten? <laughs> you fucker, it hurts to laugh that hard. <laughs> four, and a half, four and a half out of ten's harsh. But I think yeah. that's because, uh, to be fair, we're, we're at a point with this where the bits we love, we really love. And everything yeah. else, it drags it down, but by, by association it kind of gets a pass. Yeah, we have sat through some awful, awful Ed Ferrara, Terry Taylor episodes. This wasn't one of them. So all we can extrapolate from that is that John Laurinaitis made all the difference. They booked him to do finishes and he finished the show strong. Well, yeah, I guess you could look at it in that regard. Best finish we've seen and we've got a guy in charge of creative who was specialising in finishes. Yeah, and also I think if I remember rightly, there was actually there were actual resolutions to the uh, the majority of the matches, which is weird for two thousand across the board. Yeah, yeah, very weird. Yeah, on both channels. So next week we're going to move to Stephanie McMahon's lowest rated episode when she's in charge of creative of Monday Night Raw. Which is a rating of 3.8. We talk about this being the lowest ever rated in an episode of Nitro. That 3.8 is the lowest rated episode of Raw for 140 weeks. Jesus Christ, that's nearly three years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that 3.8 was, you know, in that period that Russo was ramping up the ratings. So, yeah. That 3.8 was very much on the way up. This 3.8 is possibly a sign of uh, things to come in the future. Oh, yeah. The, the start of things to come. Yeah. We're starting on that slide down on Raw, unfortunately, which will last so far for 21 years. Apart from that point where it plateaued. Yeah, yeah, for that for that nine months uh, during the summer of punk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Let's blame television. Let's not blame the writing. So, so where can people find you, Dan? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting wrestling that's six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. Come along, have a laugh, talk some shit. Always happy to engage in some chatter. Uh, you can also find me on that 90s wrestling podcast doing the monthly pay-per-view reviews. Uh, they're on Twitter, at, or we're on Twitter, I should say, at 90s Wrestling Pod, and all the uh, all podcast platforms, and on YouTube at that 90s Wrestling Podcast. Excellent. You can find me on those reviews too. Hopefully by the time this episode goes out, we should be round about the time that the review of King of the Ring 93 comes out. Yeah, I actually enjoyed that more than I thought I would, although I can't really remember doing the review because I was pissed when we started. Well, you've got to play to your strengths, haven't you, Dan? So you can find the show on that podcast channel. You can also find it on uh, our own channel uh, uh, if you search on Booking the Territory or UTT Podcast. We sometimes release bonus episodes on our own channel, so great reason to follow us there on the That Night is Wrestling podcast channel. Uh, you'll get 
James's archive of interviews with previous heads of creative, such as Eric Bischoff, Vince Russo, etc. You can follow me at UTT Rob. It's really more about the mutuals than it is about the followers, so I'm more than happy to follow back. And I would say onwards and upwards, but uh, you know, upwards from this point in Nitro, but downwards in terms of Raw for next week. But uh, onwards, onwards, onwards. Yeah, keep keep moving like a shark. Where the fuck did like a shark come from? Because the shark's got to keep moving, otherwise it'll die. Okay, I, I do remember hearing that actually. Yeah, Mar- marine biology. <laughs> the levels. Thank you for listening. Out there, over Big's head. That's not Santa Claus, ladies and gentlemen. No, it's not. Welcome to the show. It's Terry Funk. He's back. Santa Funk is in the house. Look at the carnage in the ring. Look at the. You boys. want Santa Claus? Well, I am. The real Santa Claus. He's my idol. You understand that? I am the real Santa Look at the bodies littering the oh. ring. And he's not done. He's not oh. done. He'll fall at Queewee. My oh. God, he'll bust him oh, up. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. I'm going to give all you perverts out there the Christmas present. Perverts. I'm going to give you 11... Hose. Oh, at one time. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Please. Ho, ho, ho. He's ho, lost ho. it. This guy's That's crazy. 11 hoes. Now, you idiot. I'm talking about you, Crowbar. Oh, God. Oh, wait a moment here. Come on up in here. I've got you a very special present. You'll put the hardcore championship on the line. You might want to take your against me at Starcade. Oh, a challenge! A challenge from Terry Funk, and and Crowbar said he's one of my idols. Your ass up in the ring, and he's going in the ring against this maniac in a center cloth suit. Special present or not? Are you going to wrestle me at Starcade? Absolutely, if you want a shot, it would be my honor, Terry. No! That's not fair. Oh, man. No, that's not fair. He knocked him out. The hardcore champion is out, and Santa Claus is coming to town. He might not make it to Starcade.